Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Still tired. Yeah. Just woke up. And because we had such an awesome family fest yesterday. I'm so t- I can't believe all that happened that day. The thousands of people. People that <laughs> may or may not have shown up. <laughs> when you did that triple backflip, back handspring flip thing. In my in my thoughts, in my imagination, <laughs> when I was saying, man, I'm just I was thinking about doing a backflip, a triple one, but I didn't want to brag or be you know, over the top. Yeah, and then you said to the kids, this is how you manifest cool things <laughs> and then you demonstrated it right and in then right after that i was like and that's what i would say if i was a false teacher <laughs> so yeah i do remember all of this oh was, I, yeah i'm sure it was the best sunday we've had yet you know what and I'm, I'm confident it was the best family fest that we have ever put on as a church i could i could affirm that yeah. i will double stamp that no racy yeah not the last one though not, not the, the last, last one. one. Maybe the first iteration of Family Fall Fest. Exactly. And if you were there, you can look back and be like, I was there. At the first one. The I first iteration the first. of what it is right now, but right. may or may not be in the future. Right. And that's why it's Family Fest. I mean, anything could be a Family Fest. That's true. Right? Yes. Yeah. As long as it's there's families involved and, and it's festive. Yeah. One of our families has a, a birthday in their family today. Oh, yeah? Miss London is five years old. Oh, London. Happy birthday, London. Eddie, give her a hug for us. Yep. And give her cake. M- much cake. Yes. Brisket cake. And ice cream. Brisket ice cream. Maybe not that. That'd a- be weird. Hey, man. People, some people put like, a, what's that called? A, a chocolate cake smoothie or a shake? I mean, if they could do that. I think you could make brisket ice cream. Uh, that's a that's a stretch to go from like a blizzard at D- Dairy Queen to be like yes, and now it's possible to do with blizzard with with brisket. I mean, hey, you just do whatever you want. But there's a there's the, what's that called that that ice cream that's it's it's something like that. It's a salted uh, salted caramel or something like that. Still still a stretch. I mean, you could probably take the juices from a brisket and put it into like the base of an ice cream and and put it in an ice okay. cream machine and have like a smoky brisket flavored ice cream. That's awesome. Yeah, put that on vanilla. I think that might be pretty good actually. Probably. See? Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Come around. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Dude, if we go into business and we go like bonkers with this ice cream, we yeah. can support this church without ever asking for people see, to give to it. See, that's the thing. We need that next idea. I was talking to, to my mom's in town visiting. Tell it brisket ice cream. Yeah. Maybe it's brisket ice cream. But we we're talking about pickleball and we we're like, pickle, like who? Why? Because it, it, it's blown up. It's, it's massive. It's the biggest thing since sliced bread. And it's like, okay, what's the next thing? Yeah. What's the next thing? Because there were some mom and pop in their backyard with a dog whose name was Pickle, and they were hitting a ball, and the dog liked the ball, and they're like, let's play pickleball. Is that how it happened? It's something like that. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. If I could edit the Wikipedia page, it would say that for sure. Interesting. But it does have something to do with a family pet, and now it's like people are... Yeah, there's like drug testing for pickleball athletes. But did they make any money off of that? Did they license it? or Maybe the dog did. (laughs) Pickle. He's living high in the hog. Yeah. Or or high in the dog. Uh, I'm the dog. Well, hey, let's uh, get to our reading. Ezekiel chapters 4, 5, and 6 let's and uh, part of Hebrews chapter 10. I know. What's up with that break in Hebrews 10, bro? I don't know. Weird break. I don't know. And it's not even like at the end of a paragraph or the beginning of another. It's, it's like just, in the middle of a thought. Yeah. I think there's a comma there. 
There's probably is. Stay tuned because <laughs> maybe next year we won't have that same problem. Maybe. Foreshadowing. Oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, chapter four. In chapter four, the uh, the prophecy begins. And here's the thing with Ezekiel. There's a lot of, uh, of skits, that, for lack of a better term. Man, he's dramatic. That Ezekiel lives out here and we see one right away he's uh but this is god telling him to do it though right. this is not ezekiel saying how can i make this more relevant right he's not wearing skinny jeans with rips at the at the thigh right he's he's following god's leadership it's here. impersonal were you going after somebody <laughs> yeah, no, you don't you don't have rips at the thigh do no you? i don't okay I don't. this isn't about you then yeah no i just didn't know if you had somebody in mind you were, <laughs> no yeah maybe joseph lopez I, I don't no actually you know what i was i was in part thinking of Furtick. <laughs> a Furtick. Oh, okay Steve Furtick. yeah yeah. Okay. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like a drama person out there and you're, you're going, okay, this is my moment. We're going to be able to do skit, a skit team. Um, when God tells us to do it, we, we will do it. Actually, you know what? Talk to Mark Kogan because our I'm kids, sure yeah. for our kids, men camps, summer camps, we'd love to use your talents and gifts and abilities towards that. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, but this, these are all representations of God's impending judgment. And that's what the point is. And so he begins playing with Legos. Um, no, it's not Legos, but he's, he's <laughs> making a model of the city and depicting the siege through this model. Uh, but then he gets into the situation where he's told to lie on his side and he lies on his side for a while. And then he turns and he lies on his side for another side. And, and this is, this is a long time. And the question comes, is he literally lying like for all of these days straight? Is this just the prophet just on his side this whole time? And it, it doesn't seem like that because we see that he's called to to eat the defiled bread. I, I'm calling it that because of what it's baked over. Um, and so he he does have to be able to get up and prepare the bread and bake the bread and everything else. So it's, it seems like this is confined to a portion of the day that he's doing this as a demonstration. But it's not that he's laying on his side for days on end without, without getting up or without having a break from that. But he is representing... Um, God's judgment, God's judgment coming from the north and God's judgment as he turns on his side coming against the the south, coming against Judah there in the south. And uh, this is a way for him to try to drive the point home. And and, and the bread, though, what, what what do we make of the bread, Pastor Rod, since you love the bread so much? Um, this bread I make that's, peanut butter and banana. Those are usually my go-tos. What else do we make of the bread? Well, but we bake Could it over French toast. We bake it over dung. Like what, what is what is God communicating with the bread? So when you're under siege, your access to uh, to normal supply chains like bread or even things to cook bread with are threatened and compromised. And so I think what God's communicating with this with this bread here is like you're going to be you're going to be so threatened and you're going to be so limited in your supplies that it's just you're going to be using the worst methods to just to keep yourself alive, which also speaks to their cannibalistic tendencies. Yeah. You know, when they're, when you're put in a situation, I was thinking about this yesterday, when, when you're put in a situation where it's a matter of life and death, like, what what would I do? I look at them and I think, how could you, how, how would you? And you know, I brought, I, I think I just got a, like a gut check, like, man, I don't know what I would do. I don't know. I, I in my mind, like I, I'm, I'm a 20, 2023 American who lives in Texas. I have all the brisket I can want. What would happen? Yeah, and ice brisket flavored ice cream. What would happen if I was in that situation? I, I don't know. I don't know the depth of my heart. And that's why I think reading stuff like this, you need to say, Lord, protect us, guard us. I mean, he, the Lord, he could do this. I don't know that we're going to be eating bread cooked over human dung, but idea here is that he's trying to warn them and say, look, um, this is your future unless, unless you listen, unless you repent. 
And God's not doing that for us today. He's not writing in the sky. But I think it's important for us to reckon with the fact that God doesn't owe us a prosperous America. And we ought to be ready. Right. Because our God is what we call immutable. It's a characteristic. It's an attribute of him, meaning he is unchanging. So the God that we serve and, and worship today, the God who is the God of creation today, is the same God as he was here in uh, in Ezekiel chapters 1 through 4 that we're studying so far. I mean, the things that he hates, he still hates. The things that he loves, he still loves. The, the, the sins that he finds egregious, he still finds egregious today. So uh, we can't think that he's somehow a softer God today than he used to be back then, and God would never bring this about today. Certainly he could, uh, but I, I think you're right there. And he even says in verse 17, he says, I will do this that they may lack bread. I, I will break the supply, he says in verse 16. So I think your your view on, on what he's doing with the bread there is right. And, and this is, again, a, a picture meant to, to depict what God is going to bring against the city, which is what he talks about then in chapter 5, the prophet does, that Jerusalem will be destroyed and the people that aren't killed will go into exile. And so here he, he another picture, another skit that he acts out here with, with a razor and he's cutting off hair and there's a third of it that he's going to scatter to the wind and he's taking the third and, and he's, he's burning it in the fire and he's taking the other third. And, and, and so what he's doing here is he's depicting what's going to happen to the house of Israel, that there's going to be exile for some, there's going to be death for others. There's going to be uh, death by the sword, death by famine and pestilence for some. And so this is what is going to happen to the uh, the nation of Israel and specifically to, to Judah here uh, and to Jerusalem. And this is the full, look at that again in verse 13, the, the full fury of the Lord. I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself. And then here's the phrase that begins to repeat itself over and over again. And they shall know that I am the Lord. And so the chapter five is the destruction there of Jerusalem. Yeah, this is sad times, man. Again, verse 10, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst and sons shall eat their fathers. Yeah. Um, terrible time. God warns us against it. I don't think it's far-fetched to suggest that there would be a similar kind of response if God were, if God wanted to, he has every reason to judge our people. I mean, I look at, I look at our, our TV, our TV, it's antiquated. I look at our, our X feed. I look at our Facebook threads and the things that we see on the news. I just think, man, God, God, we are a sinful people. We are lost. We are broken, man. We have so many reasons for you to judge us and we would deserve it. We would deserve it. And not that I'm praying that we get that, but I want to be, man, I just feel like we need to be prepared, dude. Yeah. Bro, I think our church can so often be complacent and weak because we're just so comfortable. And not that I want God to do this, but I think it's our responsibility to be prepared for whatever happens next. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter six, then he gets into what I've just called a jealous judgment here. And this is the, the, the great response of God is ultimately a, his response against the, the problem of, of worship and false worship. And that's, again, I've, I've mentioned this before. The, the greatest indictment of mankind is that we have a worship problem. And that's where Paul goes in Romans chapter one, that they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And so that is, is tangibly seen when people are bowing down to a wooden statue or a false God or an idol or worshiping these, these gods of the nations. But to, to your point, Pastor Rod, that, that we were just saying, we live in a society that is immersed in idol worship and the, the idols just look different. It's sex, it's, it's money, it's, it's fame, it's, you know, leisure, it's, just being angry, right? I mean, I've, I've been struck by that recently with these these pro-Palestinian protests that are going around everywhere. And I wonder how much of that isn't just, you know, the the, the BLM people just repackaging their hate somewhere else now. And, and just they just want to be angry. They want to be vitriolic and, and, 
and destructive. And that that's, that's the culture and world that we live in. And they don't know the Lord. And if you look at chapter six, again, the, the repeated phrase is, you shall know that I'm the Lord. You shall know that I'm the Lord. You shall know that I'm the Lord. Four or five times it appears there in chapter six. And it's this reminder that God is judging in order that people would know who he is. Because one of the greatest sins is they've forgotten him and he won't allow for that. He is a jealous God. So one verse that stood out to me, I mean, it screamed at me this time when I read it, and it's in verse 9. Um, Those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, how I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me, over their eyes that go whoring after their idols. And of course, God is uh, depicting his, his anger on the one hand, but also notice his brokenness on the other. That's huge. Verse mm-hmm. 9, how I've been broken over their whoring heart. Now, that's not a very pleasant word to utilize, utilize in mixed company, but you get the idea here that God is not just angry at sin. He is, he is broken. There is. It's interesting because we talk about the, uh, the immutability of God or his impassibility. He's unchanging, but he's, not, he's a God without, without uh, passions like humans, that is. And you see this verse connected to verses like, uh, like Ephesians 4.30, which says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, in what way can we grieve him? In what way can we break him? Um, certainly it's not in any meaningful sense where it's a permanent reality or he flies off the handle and he just he's crying and retching his fingers or something like that. But there is a real sense in which we can break God and hurt God by the way that we sin. Um, I find that fascinating. And I think that's just God's way of saying, like, I'm, I'm in this with you. I'm not just mm-hmm. a distant God. This is not deist religion where God starts the globe spinning and then walks away. He, he is intimately involved with his people and he cares deeply about how we act. He does. He does. Yeah. Because in, in, he cares deeply about his glory. And that's, that's one of those great paradoxes. I don't know if paradox is the right word, but his love for his glory has overflowed into his love for us. And that's where we get to benefit from his compassion and love for us as, as part of his love for his own glory and his love for himself there, which yeah. When we choose to reject that, it's, it's like doubly to your point, doubly grievous to him, um, his glory and his love for us, uh, in that sense. Hebrews 10, part of it, one through 23. Yeah. It, it opens as we talked about yesterday, again, reemphasizing the fact that, Hey, the, 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 the priestly sacrificial system, it, it can't do what, what you need done. Your greatest need can't be accomplished through the priestly sacrificial system uh, because, and that's evidenced by the fact that the sacrifices are ongoing, that they continually have to offer them because uh, if they were effective, they would be done. They would be done. And he says, oh, but, but speaking of that, verse 12, uh, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Now, when the priest sat down, his job was done. And so when, when the writer here says he sat down, he's not just saying, okay, well, Jesus was finished. And he was like, oh, I'm going to go take a seat over there. I'm tired. Yeah. No, there's, there's weightiness to the, the, those words there. He's communicating in order to disadvantage because we don't see the, the priestly system the same way. Speaking of liturgy, we talked about liturgy yesterday. There was a liturgy in the, the priestly system. And when the priest sat down, that was a liturgical sign that his work was done, that he had completed the task. And so here... Christ sits down at the right hand of the Father, and he is communicating that, that the work is done. He said it on the cross. It is finished, to tetelestai. Uh, and he em- emerged from the grave, uh, lived, like we said, amongst his, his people, resurrected for a time, and then ascended up to heaven. And that's where he is right now, waiting until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And that's when he will return uh, to, uh, to come and get his bride. 
Yeah, such a cool picture. Verse 11, the priest stands daily. Now, if in your mind's eye, or maybe in your ESV Bible or one of your study Bibles, they'll have a picture of the of the temple or the tabernacle, and you'll notice that there's no furniture there for sitting. Uh, there's, right. there's, there's just no opportunity because the work is never done, realistically, even for the priest. When he did sit down at the end of the day, it wasn't because he was done in a in a final sense. He right. was done temporarily until he had to do it again the next day or at least the, the once a year day of atonement. So it's such a significant and powerful image to say Jesus sat down. He's done. Yeah. Like it's finished. Yeah. And it's not it's not just one time. It's he's perfected for all time. Those who who draw near to him. It's it's an amazing image of the finality of Jesus sacrifice, not sacrificing the animal, sacrificing himself. And these are the kind of things that get people of the Bible just stoked, man, like fired up. Like, that's my Lord right there. I, that's, the, that's the kind of God I want to serve. Right. That's amazing. Such, an, such a cool thought. Yeah. Yeah. And it has an impact on us and it should have that impact on us. And I think that's where we see beginning in verse 19 down through only verse 23 because that's where we have to stop. Got to stop right there. But he says, don't you dare go for it. <laughs> right. Since we have confidence now, right? I mean, that, that, like you're saying, it fires you up. You've got confidence now because of what Christ has done, because the work is finished. And then there's three let us's, and we're only going to get to two today because they robbed us of the third one. Yeah. And the first one is let us draw near. So we have access now. And this goes, harkens back to, to chapter four when he says, we have a great high priest. We can draw near to the throne of grace and mercy to find help in, in time of need. Here, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Why? Not because of our work, but because Christ has done it all. He's finished. It's done. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But let us not just draw near. Let us also hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Um, and so we can have this confidence both to draw near in this confidence that what we believe, what we hold fast to is is valid and true and, and trustworthy. Amen to that. One quick insight as you read here. I want to point something out to you that you probably saw but maybe just didn't stop upon. I want to point out to you verse 15. Okay, Chapter 10, verse 15 says, it says, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, now, just notice there, who's speaking? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's speaking. He's not an impersonal active force. He is a person, and the person is speaking. And then notice when he speaks, what is he saying? He's saying Jeremiah 31, 33, which is to say that when the prophet Jeremiah is speaking, it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking. If you want to see this again, you might have also seen this in chapter 3, starting at verse 7, where it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he goes on to quote Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Again, you see the active personal nature of the Holy Spirit speaking forth scripture. This is God's breathed word, his uh, theopanoustos, as we say in uh, 2 Timothy 3. So there you go, something to to consider as you talk to your your friends who are in different cults. (laughs) This is where I know I was trying to think of a different word, but that's, that's the best one. Yeah. It's the one that's the true one. Yeah. Um, this, this is some uh, scriptural fodder for you to utilize as you help them think through the implications of what it means that the Holy Spirit is the one speaking and he's speaking scripture. Right. And, and this is what we call internal evidence. So there's external evidence that we can give in an apologetic argument, which is what it sounds like. It's arguments that come from outside of the text that, that point to its validity and its veracity. And we see some of that about the veracity of scripture. Uh, for example, you can look at what happened to the disciples and, uh, and post the resurrection of Christ, that all but Judas, uh, who died through suicide, but all the others died a martyr's death. Even you know John, though he died in exile, was a martyr's death. He was exiled for his faith. But the others suffered immensely and they could have denied everything and they chose not to. And that's external evidence pointing to the truthfulness of scripture. Here we see internal evidence, what the Bible says about itself, pointing to the doctrine of inspiration, which is what you were just unpacking. So helpful for us to have confidence in 
the fact that the Bible testifies to these things itself as well. It's not just people from the outside saying, oh yeah, well, this is what the Bible is. Right. Well, thanks for joining us again and we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode. Be there, be square. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.